Welcome to Rooted and Unwavering, a podcast and radio show which features leaders from all walks of life in conversations about courageous connectedness. How do we stay connected to our best selves, especially when we are challenged? What becomes possible when we truly stay committed to our own and others' greatness, also when we don't feel it? Join host Hilke Faber, transformational coach, facilitator, and award-winning author of Taming Your Crocodiles, and his guests as they explore leadership greatness in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering. Welcome to Rooted and Wavering, broadcasting live from Phoenix Business Radio X, where we help people connect more deeply to their innate potential. I'm your host, Hilke Faber. This is the 19th episode of Rooted and Wavering, and I'm here today with Bert van der Hoek, CEO of the Trimbos Institute for Mental Health in the Netherlands. Bert, how are you today? Yes, um, I have a double feeling because of, uh, on the one hand, my sister-in-law has passed away last week. So we have had an extraordinary week with a lot of emotions and so on. And on the other hand, I'm very curious about this podcast. We know each other a long time and I always think you have really good questions and I like to make the story complete. So... I'm ready for the first question there, Hilke. Thank you so much, Bertin. I appreciate your being here also in this tender time for your family. Appreciate that. And so we're going to talk a little bit more with you directly in a moment. I, Before we do that, I'm going to say a bit more about the podcast, Rooted and Wavering, and also about Bert so that the listeners can get to know you. First about Rooted and Wavering. So Rooted and Wavering is a series of conversations with leaders from all walks of life, life like Bert, to to learn more about what connects us deeply to what is true and what happens when we get mm, thrown off our base and how do we find our way back. And what I find is that there's many tools and concepts I can learn, and those are helpful. And what helps me most is to remember stories and thinking, ha, how would Bert respond to this situation? Or How would Tony or how would Bernard or how would anybody else who's been on the podcast or I've met in my life? So that's the intention for this. So I invite you as you listen to this to to listen to it from that perspective. Like how can this person help me to widen my view and get more grounded into what I truly care about, even if that's different from the person who's speaking. So Bert van der Hoek comes with us today with so much experience. I met him Many years ago, I think it's about a decade or more ago, uh, when he was still the chairman of the executive board of the Friesland in the north of the Netherlands. Bert also has a very beautiful background. He's a classically trained guitar player and has a degree in organizational psychology and applied psychology from the University of Groningen, which is a very prestigious university in the north of the Netherlands, a great university. And he has worked throughout his life in occupational health, in safety, in government and semi-government organizations. And currently he leads the Trimbos Institute where he's the chairman of the executive board again. And he is helping in the country to create more awareness of what mental health is, working in fields like addiction, promotion, prevention, treatment, recovery, all kinds of things that help to create a more mentally healthy society. And I would say what a beautiful cause that is 
any time, uh, but I would say especially in the times that we live today. So Bert, welcome. That's the bit about your bio that's kind of written. Personally, what I also like to say about you is one thing that strikes me about Bert that he is so optimistic. Like I find you, there's always this this curiosity about oh, what what can we do here? What's the vision here? This this vision into something greater. So I love that about you, your curiosity leading into the future. So Bert, welcome again. And I'm so glad that you are with us today. Tell us a little bit about your journey with connectedness in your life. Well, Ilka, perhaps the first thing in my mind by the question is connectedness is perhaps the story of my life. Because um, I grew up in a very ordinary family. Uh, My father was a milkman. My mother was a housewife. We had eight children at home, seven boys, one girl. And it was a typical Catholic family in the 60s, 70s in the Netherlands. So people were driven very much by the norms and values of the church, of the family, instead of their own values and beliefs. So in the beginning, um, I don't have learned to be connected from home. Mm. Uh, My father was very busy. And when we came at home, my mother was like a general. She ordered us to help my father. And so we lived our own lives and uh, got home when we were hungry and so on. So I think I have learned to be more connected by uh, with people um, by my uh, wife, Luz. Uh, she is the opposite. Uh, she is very, very much connected to people. And on the other hand, she is very dependent of uh, feeling the connectedness of other people for being um, happy. Uh, so... I think in the first years, the first decades of our marriage, it was from time to time a struggle. On the one hand, my drive for freedom and autonomy, and on the other hand, her desire for being more connected. So in my personal life, I think last decades, I have learned better and better to be connected and to 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 to. Uh, be aware of the value of being connected. Uh, I, I love the honesty with which you're sharing that. And also, I hear in that the compassion for your parents. I mean, that was quite a generation to grow up in, in the 60s. And for them to grow up in the 40s, 50s, just thinking about after the Second World War, basically trying to make things work, make it work. And your father being a milkman, I can imagine that being very hard work and your mom having eight kids, eight kids, I think is what you said. Yeah, sure. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, that's a, that's a very big responsibility. And, and then, you know, the learning something about the value of hard work uh, that, that I'm hearing from your story. And also I heard something about, even though you were maybe not learning too much about connection, deep connection with others, which you learned later with from your from your wife, Luz. You did learn something about connection to what you, what you also value, which was freedom. So maybe we start there for a second and don't skip over those first decades entirely because each decade, I think, has 
or each year, each moment has something to teach us. So tell us a little bit about Little Bert and freedom. <laughs> well, I think Little Bert was a boy, the sixth child in the row. So in the hierarchy of the family uh, at the lower level. But I think I was perhaps the child who knows the best, who knows the best what he thought about things, uh, his opinions and so on, but also about uh, what he wanted to do. Uh, so in that modest family, in that, in that environment of being modest and, and doing your best, um, they, I, I was, I think, for them a little bit other than the other childs. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And how was that for little Bear to be a little different? Like, how did you forge your path in that situation? One of the things I find very interesting, you started studying classical guitar and psychology, and I'm thinking, what a leap from where you came from. Yes, and I, I wanted to study medicine, to becoming a doctor. But in the Netherlands, uh, there were more students who wanted to study than there were places uh, at a university. So I didn't get uh, the study uh, the first year. I also didn't get the study the second year. And then I had an alternative to study psychology. Yes. Just pause um, for a second for, for our listeners in the US. The way the system, I remember from myself, because I had a similar ambition, I remember this, that it's a lottery in the Netherlands. So it's not sure like it uh, an application where you're trying to impress and get in that way. It's not an application. It's a lottery. So you basically played the lottery twice and didn't get in. Okay, continue. Yes. So I started with a study of psychology and it was in the beginning very much psychoanalytical theory oriented and I liked it a, a lot. So I didn't uh, get for a third time in the lottery of the uh, study of, uh, of medicine to becoming a doctor, but to become a psychologist. I get it. I get it. So tell us a little bit about how did you make the decision to want to actually pursue medicine, play guitar? How did that come about in your early life? Yes, in, in, in my teens, I was a member of a pop band. Uh, I played bass. So um, I was always busy with music. And that was um, uh, after sport, uh, football. It was my, my greatest hobby. And all my time, I uh, was busy with uh, playing guitar and, and playing in a band. So when I started with a study of psychology. I couldn't stay in that dance. And after a couple of years, I missed the music. Mm. So I did an exam for getting to the, to the pre-phase of the conservatorium in, in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a part-time course and I could do it. And I was uh, accepted for doing it, but that's, was maximized on two years. So after two years, I had to decide what do I want to do, continuing the study of psychology of going into the music. And I uh, chose for the second at that moment, mm -hmm. but I had an appointment with the, 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 the dean of the, of the university that I could um, continue the study of psychology of, 
within a period of five years. Mm-hmm. So I decided to get first in the study of the conservatorium playing guitar and could always turn back to psychology in the period of five years. So I did a study. It, um, I did it very well. So I could do the, uh, uh, the, the highest level. And after a couple of years, studying hard, having my own uh, students and playing in restaurants and so on, I missed the intellectual challenges. Mm-hmm. It, it was just playing guitar. So I decided to, to do a step backwards, a lower level, to be a, 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 a teacher for guitar. And I continued the study of psychology. And in two or three years, I ended both studies and decided to to focus uh, on uh, jobs in psychology. Got it, got it, got it. So you've been in many mm, places of leadership and psychology in your life. So, so it is. Yeah, so reflecting back, what would you say were some of the core lessons you learned about staying connected to what truly matters in that time? What were some of the lessons you learned about what, what matters? It's truly about staying connected to what matters to you. To be honest, the most painful um, memory is that when I uh, met Luz, my wife, that was in the beginning of the uh, study uh, of the guitar, I told her, number one in my life is the guitar. So the best place you can get is the second place. I told it uh, uh, more romantic, but uh-huh. it's very awful. Uh, and um, at that moment, I, it was really what I meant to do in my life, to, be, uh, to become a, a top guitar player. Yes. And uh, so I was so ambitious. That was the most important thing for me in life. Uh, more important than my new girlfriend. And what have you learned about that since? The, the other uh, memory is a couple of years ago that Luz uh, got the diagnosed cervical uh, cancer that was on Sinterklaas Eve. So it was very painful and both we thought she should, um, she should die in a couple of months because of that diagnosis. And w- uh, fortunately, it has um, become well. Um, she is... Um, uh, treated, um, had an operation, and, and 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 so on. And now she's feeling well. So it's it turned well. That, that that's the most important thing. And you could say that in that time, I was so present and so close, connected to her. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's quite the opposite of the thinking. The guitar is the first, and my girlfriend is the second uh, place. Uh huh. And what do you s- discover about? connecting with another and with yourself in that time after the cancer diagnosis with Luz, after Sinterklaas evening? Yes, that's, I think, the, the, the most important thing of, of connectedness is that you really feel uh, dividing life and, 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 and living your life with another. You, you, you care about, you love, and so it is so the opposite of feeling lone, feeling lonely. Uh-huh. Um, 
and it's so so wonderful to 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 feel the stability, the rest, the 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 warmth of being connected with another. Mm. So I think um, the the most important lesson is that um, nevertheless your ambitions. The, the most important thing is the the relatives, your 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 spouse or 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 uh, other people you are connected with. That's the that's the base of life, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how has that? translated maybe also in how you interact with colleagues and how you lead others because that was a pretty formative time not that long ago but that was a pretty formative time it sounds like that that time of facing death with not the guitar but of your spouse like what did you learn from that that you now are potentially using or applying at work perhaps the association is with the life course of, of, of human beings. When you are a child, the age of 12, you are the center of the universe. Life is all about you and to get compliments, to get uh, to, to being the best and so on. And when you get a girlfriend, you're very proud if your girlfriend gets compliments and so on. And when you get children, you're you're never so proud as that your children are doing well and people are very positive of them. Mm-hmm. So a kind of indirect valuation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when that association, I think, is the same in your working career. Uh, in the beginning, um, you are the center of all and you want to be the best manager of all, um, the, 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 the best uh, the, the 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 most exciting challenges you go on to 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 do the best and years and years later you learn it's not about you it's about your team you lead or something like that and in an other phase you learn it's about the purpose and the meaning of your company for society so the valuation and the importance of getting compliments and so on is is becoming more indirect than in the beginning. It's all about yourself. I love that. Uh, Einstein talks about expanding circles of concern. He says something like it's our delusion that we stay in the circle that is closest to us and that the human being basically has the invitation to step out and to broaden and to widen our circles of concern. And that's what I'm hearing you say also, like as a little one, um, it's all about me. And then it's about the one that I love. And then it's about the one that I created or co-created my children, my offspring. And then it's maybe about my, and my team or my, me as a manager, my team and, and my, and then it starts to become more and more wide. You could say purpose. Yeah. So, Think about how you're currently leading the Trimbos Institute, which has a very high purpose. How does connecting to that purpose guide you in terms of how you lead day to day? Because what you do, from my perspective, is very important in the Netherlands and in the world. So tell me, tell me more about that. What does that do when Bert wakes up and goes to work? How does that inform him? Well, okay. I think my current job as a CEO of the Trimbus Institute, I think it's the best fit ever in my life. From who I am, who I wanted to be, and the job 
I have the privilege to, to may lead the company. And that's all about the meaning of the Institute in Dutch society, in every day uh, being busy with getting a better world, getting a better society in the Netherlands. Mm. And so in my life, uh, the value of justice has grown and grown. And at this, this moment, I think it's the most important one for me. When you realize that the socioeconomic differences in the Netherlands, but also in the States, I suppose, are so big that where you are born is very important for uh, the rest of your life because of the family where you grew up, the neighborhood where you grew up is so important for what you can uh, become later in, in life and that people in a better situation are uh, living eight to 10 years longer, but especially living for 20 years better without uh, uh, diseases and so on. So the difference is not because of your own success, of your own ambitions and, and drive, but because of the environment where you grow up is very, it's, it's a kind of a destination for your um, chances in life later on. And from the point of view of justice, it's unacceptable. So in the Netherlands, and especially the Trimbus Institute, we are busy every day to get uh, equal chances for everybody to grow up as they want to live their life as they want to live, nevertheless, the environment where they are born. I just want to pause us there for a second, because what you said is such an important piece of information that's so easily forgotten, right? Because we can easily fall into the trap of if I work hard enough, if I choose wise enough, if I exert myself enough, if I take enough responsibility, it's like the American dream, you know, if you can make it, anybody can make it. And what you're saying is sure, it's important. And from your own life, you've exerted yourself. You know, you didn't just become the highest level guitar player, son of a milkman. You did stuff, you did stuff, right? You came from pretty humble beginnings yourself. And now I hear you say that people that are grown in growing up in a lesser fortunate social economic situation live eight to 10 years less and have 20 years or so uh, less of health free, health problem free uh, time in their life amongst alongside other things. And I hear you say, talk about justice. You say that with the Trimbos Institute, you're working on this. So how do you work on that? How do you work on that? I'm, 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 I think in the beginning of my management career, I was focused on, on challenges and on results. At this moment, I'm just focused on our purpose. Just focus on unifying all people, all departments inside our institute to collaborate and to do one thing, make the world better. Everybody from their own uh, uh, point of view, their own point of knowledge, uh, but focused on getting a better society, getting equal chances for everybody to live the life they want to do. 
So I hear you actually practicing within Trimbos Institute what you envisioned for society, which is equal chances for everyone, also within Trimbos Institute, as in terms of how you work together. You're unifying everyone inside the Trimbos Institute as you're working towards unifying the country in terms of having more equal chances. Now, how does the Trimbos Institute work on helping to create equal chances for people in society? How do you do that? Yes, that we we do uh, research, monitor all kind of developments, trends in society. We get also a, a lot of knowledge from abroad, and we are translating that knowledge to interventions, some programs, for example, prevention programs, promoting a healthy living in the Netherlands, uh, at schools, at workplaces, uh, in society. So we are, from the, from the research, we try to make impacts by translating all that knowledge to meaningful interventions in society. Translating knowledge into meaningful interventions into society. There's more health. Maybe think a little bit about an example, sort of that that our listeners can really imagine how that works as you are basically practicing your purpose of creating a better world. And as you think about that, one thing I want to highlight from what I've heard already from you is that you used to be entirely focused on how to be successful overcoming challenge. That's You could say it's one stage of development of a leader. Now you're at the stage where you're entirely focused on purpose. I just want to highlight that because I think that's such an important transition. And maybe for all of us to think about, like, what is my concern? What is my circle of concern? Where am I focused? Am I focused, and not, not, not good or right, good or bad, entirely on my personal success? Or am I mm, attaching myself, focusing myself onto something bigger? I wanted to highlight that. So, Bert, give us an example of Maybe a, a person or a situation of a person in the Netherlands that may be helped by what Trimbos Institute does, for example, through prevention, so that we can sort of get the movie, get the picture of what actually happened so people can hear what it's like to maybe grow up in a place that is less advantaged and what you face there and how you grow through that. Can you say more about that? Yes, I can give a few examples. The, the first one uh, which comes in my mind is the mental health care sector. In the Netherlands, we have a growing uh, amount of mental health problems, especially by youth. And the system, uh, the care providers, don't have enough place for helping all people. So we have waiting lists where people are sometimes with severe psychological disorders have to to stay on for more than one year. So that's unacceptable from the point of health, but also from the point of society. The parties in the system have interests. It's also an economy, the healthcare uh, business. So people don't move and the problem is growing and growing. Mm. So I realize that having worked at um, the health insurance companies as well as health care providers, mm-hmm. 
I know both worlds and I feel very responsible for being uh, a bridge between all that uh, different worlds and to get things in a good direction, a sustainable direction for the future. And we are doing that um, with all the knowledge we have, which is a very hard, um, difficult challenge because of all the interests of the parties in the system. But that's one example. And we have uh, published uh, research uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, a lot of people are very interested in it. And it can be a trigger for moving on. So I'm very glad with that recent development. But another example is that we are busy on for students. The mental health of students is also gone better and better. Um, so we are investigating and, and, and monitoring the, the mental health of students. Mm -hmm. And uh, at this moment, we are busy with making a program of all kinds of interventions for, for preventing mental health problems become psychological disorders. Thank you for sharing, Bert. We're going to explore this more after the break. One of the things that I'm taking away from this first part of our conversation with Bert van der Hoek, who is the CEO of the Trimbos Institute for Mental Health in the Netherlands, is how much power comes online in ourselves and how much care comes online when we align ourselves with a higher purpose, which in Bert's example is the aligning with real justice and care for a better society. So let's come back after the break to this question about how we use this purposefulness to bring those different interests together of different parties in a healthcare system that may on the surface have a opposing interest. See you after the break. You are listening to Rooted and Unwavering, presented by Growth Leaders Network, the leadership team, and culture development company. If you would like to learn more about working on connectedness for yourself, your team, or organization, please contact Growth Leaders Network on LinkedIn. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Root and Wavering. I've been speaking with Bert van der Hoek, the CEO of the Trimbos Institute for Mental Health in the Netherlands. And we've talked about how our connection to what truly matters to us evolves. And Bert has been talking to us about how it was maybe in the very beginning, logically as a 12-year-old, maybe about me and my success and doing what I want to do, my freedom, like being the best guitar player to becoming a manager, going through challenges, my girlfriend, my kids, that immediate circle of concern, and then moving to something that is even bigger than that, which is a bigger purpose. And now Bert's working in the interest of, for the interest of, a, of the advancement of a whole society. So Bert, talk a little bit more about how do you use your purposefulness, your connection to purpose, to bring those different parties together? Because I can imagine that given where you're coming from, it might sometimes feel schizophrenic. You've worked in healthcare providing and healthcare insurance. And we all have stories, great ones and not so great ones from both sides as yeah. recipients of those. 
Yes, you're right. Um, but it's very interesting. When you work in that world, nevertheless, the care uh, providers or the health insurance companies, most people are doing well and do the best for the company. But the purpose of the companies and the context of the companies are very different. So it isn't that the people are bad or don't don't do their best or something like that. No, it's the system that has some barriers for working together. Mm-hmm. And healthcare insurance companies are very are very focused on all the cost of healthcare. And from the point of society, it's 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 good that there is an actor in the system who who is a um, a guard of the, the 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 cost because it's the, the costs have to be bring up brought up by all society. So uh, when you have a system of solidarity of dividing all the costs, you need to be very sharp in. Uh, don't spoil and spend it the, the, at, at, at the best way you can. Um, so it aren't the, the, it isn't the problem of the people inside the companies, mm-hmm. um, but it's the system that creates the problems. And when you look at the system in the Netherlands, the original goals of the system is to guarantee access to healthcare for everybody who needs it. And it's a very good system of solidarity and of public values for quality of care, for uh, payability of care, and for access to care. Uh, for care. So that, that's, that's good. But the system itself has developed more and more in a bureaucratic system with a lot of rules and a lot of procedures and so on. So a lot of professionals are, 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 are going away because of all the administration and all the uh, rules uh, and begin for themselves or uh, are leaving um, the healthcare and are going to do something else. So the system itself creates the problem. Mm. And the good point is that we have created a system and when the system has grown bad, we can justify, we can um, repair that and make it good. But the bad thing is that um, a lot of people have interest in the status quo. Mm, I get that. And maybe that's where the word justice comes in. Yeah, so it is. So it is. Mm. So we are very busy with, and, and, and there again uh, comes the importance of purpose because you only can uh, unify all the different actors in the system with all their different interests if they want to uh, commit themselves to one superordinate purpose, getting access to everybody who needs the care. One overarching purpose that unifies everyone, right? Where it's like we want to have access for everyone of of healthcare. So talk a little bit about how you and your organization then help people to A, connect to that purpose, 
because I can imagine in bureaucracy with frustrations and all kinds of stuff that people get distracted or it's hard to keep the eye on the purpose. Uh, so talk about that. And also how you personally motivate yourself because I can imagine that things don't go always the way you'd like them to go. So how, how do you work with that? I think to be very honest and open and very direct and uh, getting the good um, conversation uh, on the table because of a lot of different actors have interest in holding the status quo mm -hmm. and that for society that, that, that isn't the right way. So I'm very um, busy with getting the right discussion at the right place at the right moment by government, by uh, the professionals, by the organizations and the CEOs of all the organizations. And so it's like a missionary who is um, having a new message of a new system of, of healthcare. That's focus on honest, open and direct conversation. And my sense is that pierces, that cuts through the stasis and the stagnation and the entrenchment in the old interest. Because at some point, truth prevails. You, you can't deny truth. You can only deny truth for so long. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come through at some point. So how do you... And how does your organization, how do you as a leader speak truth and, and facilitate those open and honest conversations in a way that doesn't alienate people? Because I can imagine that saying some of the things that you're saying might be hard for people to hear, or there may be resistance to it. And I'm thinking actually of our work together, Bert, and when we're working on culture change, I notice this in my work all the time when we're saying we want to guide your organization to a different level of thinking, behaving, requires a level of honesty and requires change, and humans don't like change. So how do you work with that as a leader as you are grounded in truth and honesty? I think the most important thing is to respect each other. And from respect and from awareness that things have grown as they have grown, and the situation uh, is has resulted in the in, in in waiting list and so on. Nevertheless, everybody is working hard. So respect and no condemnation of what people have done uh, is is very important. Also, not only telling um, the the truth of uh, the future, but especially asking how people think about the future. So. Um, that combination, having respect for all people, having really knowledge about the system and all the struggles for moving on, uh, and uh, being uh, interested and curious of how people think of the, of the, of, of, of the situation in the present and what they uh, wanted to do for getting a more sustainable system of care. I want to hone in on both of these pieces a bit more, this respect and non-condemnation, non-judgment of others, and also the interest in how people envision the future. I'd like to hear more about that. First, let's focus on respect and non-condemnation. So 
my question to you, Barrett, is how do you work with judgments that may come up in yourself as you're sitting with people and you might be thinking, at least I'm just imagining thinking like, oh, there we go again. Or, yeah, yeah, I see you being entrenched. Yeah, yeah, you're stuck in your old ways. At least these are some of the things that come up in, up in my head when I'm faced with people that don't want to change or are stuck in their old ways. How do you work with that thinking? And, and how do you not fall in the trap of condemnation, which you've laid out so clearly, disconnects us? Well, I think I have the advantage of being a psychologist. I've learned in, 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 uh, during my study and, and, and later on to always being aware of the different levels in the conversation, uh, in the presence, um, sitting near each other and having, having a conversation, but also at a level above for being aware of what's going on in uh, underwater and what's going on in the, 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 the feeling of connectiveness and a, a level above that for the more strategic goal of the, of the conversation. And of course, I'm just a human being with all kinds of irritation and, and so on. But I think I really can manage it in most of the situations. And my sense is part of the way you're managing it is because you're able to apply awareness, a sense of stepping back. We also call this balcony awareness, being able to rise above yeah. saying, hey, what's the pattern here? Uh, what's the purpose here? What might be going on with the other person feeling wise without getting lost in that? Uh, and then, hmm choosing from that awareness as opposed to reacting to any particular layer in any particular point of time. So it is. Yeah. So it is. And there is always the point of the interest of people. It's always the question, what's the really interest of people? Because sometimes it looks like to earn more money or to be aware of the importance of um, the continuation of the organization and so on. But when you have a really good conversation and you are prepared and, and to get under that interest, sometimes people have other interests than they most of the time speak of. So, and, 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 and when you are able to connect the interests of different parts of the system because the really interest behind the mm -hmm. obvious interest, then sometimes um, you can bridge between the differences and it's going well. It's like looking beyond the immediate interest. I'm, I'm hearing not get sidetracked or blinded by those, but saying, hey, let's take a think a little further. So how do you stimulate the thinking and the awareness and the conversation about the deeper purpose. Because I imagine people coming into some of those conversations with clear agenda, my organization, my profitability, my way of doing things, and then there's yours and those two will never meet. So how do you facilitate that conversation? By, by asking the right question at the right moment in the right atmosphere. And people don't want to be honest when they are feel unsafe and they don't trust the other 
part of the uh, the other person in the conversation. But when you really have a good conversation and a good relationship with respect and with with really interest in what people what people drives, then you can get behind uh, beyond the the obvious interests. So a couple of things I heard you say, it's like, it's the psychological safety to start with, because when people don't say, feel safe, they won't say anything. Uh, really, that's true. And then by being deeply interested in what actually might be going on for them, by, by allowing for some space is what I'm hearing, by asking the deeper questions. And in that way, you're able to bridge, you're able to bridge interest, and you're able to bring people together that might be otherwise talking against each other. Now we're talking together. Can you give an example without giving away confidential, confidential information of how such a conversation might have evolved from kind of antagonistic, maybe at first, to something that's much more collaborative, more deeper interest-based? Can you give an example of that? Because I think it'd be really good for us to hear how that happens. And I see it as such an important transition for many conversations that need to happen in society at the moment. Perhaps the CEO of a healthcare provider, one of the most important things, I have been it myself, so I um, be very aware of the interests of CEOs of healthcare providers. And one of the most important thing is um, the continuation of the organization. And one of the most important aspects of continuation is a really good uh, and stable um, financial result. And when you are in a system with a kind of financing all the healthcare activities, people are very focused on how much they earn for certain actions, uh, for certain professional interventions, and so on. But if you can get a conversation to the level that if you get a guarantee that the continuation of your organization is well, so for about eight years. So don't be afraid of getting risk for continuation of the organization. Let's make a step towards the purpose. How do you think you should be a better caregiver, a better organization of care for more people without waiting lists. Can you imagine a situation in you could uh, do more for the people who really need it? It's with the comfort of uh, the financing and no risk of the uh, continuation of the organization. And then people have ideas and are becoming um, more flexible and becoming out of the focused beliefs of um, I need to get that kind of money for my for the continuation of the organization. It's a beautiful example. I can see even the way you're talking about it. At first, there may be this almost contracted way of thinking. My success is very narrow. It's this like this activity with this much money. Therefore continuation of my organization. It's a very simple, basic equation that people play. And what yeah. you're basically doing is I'm expanding the equation by having you challenge your beliefs of how we can do this 
and by going into sort of a bigger picture thinking, like what would happen if survival of your organization would not be an issue and you can think about broader care. Now, I'm thinking about that conversation, thinking about, but how do you guarantee that to somebody that, that, because people will say, well, I'm I'm listening to this, like, well, but nobody's going to guarantee me that the organization that I represent is going to survive. So how do you help people with that? Well, that needs a conversation with the health insurance company. And the health insurance company has one important goal that he has to uh, have a, every year they get a view of what do all the members of our company will uh, need for care and what will it cost every year. And they, at that kind of calculations, they decide um, the highest of the premium for all the insurance aspects. So they are very um, busy with the risk they run in their business. Mm -hmm. And when you can get to a conversation that imagine you know the costs for next year for sure. No risk, for sure. And perhaps 5% more than the amount of all the money for this year, but that's for sure. Could you imagine what it means for healthcare providers when they get the money they need for all the patients they get, and you make the appointment that they earn a a, a certain amount of money, but have to do the care for all the people in that region or something like that. So you need to be creative uh, for making it possible for people and for actors in the system for being focused on the future and seeing the broader picture. One of the things I get is none of the actors in the system can accomplish their objectives by themselves. So it is. And the, the less they talk to each other, the more they will have to resolve to basic equations, which are survival equations, right? The more I'm able to talk to each yes, other, sure. then you know the insurance company can help the provider and the provider can help the insurance company. So it is. So that both of them are actually working together to do what they're really here to do. You know, an insurance company... Yes keep costs at a reasonable level and protect the liabilities of patients, providers, making sure that we have good health care and we have access to it together with creating that. So, so I love is. that. I love that connectedness. Now we're getting towards the last few minutes of the conversation and I'm realizing I can talk to you for hours. I do <laughs> want to bring it back to Bert as a person. Of course, this is all being Bert as a person, but Bert in his personal life. So you've been at the helm of organizations for a while. You've just witnessed the passing of a family member. What is your longing for the future, for yourself, for what you would like next? Well, it's really an actual uh, question because I'm 64 at this moment. And in the Netherlands, for a decade ago, it was, people used to go to retirement when they were 65 years old. It, 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 it's at this moment for me in my situation, it's 67. So it's really an actual uh, question. And I, my images for the future is that I will stay busy 
with all kinds of things because I feel well with being busy and doing well. I start every day with uh, some sporting, uh, running and, and biking and fitness. And I will work as a psychologist also for next years, but at a lower level. I think for the next years, I want to do one step back with more time for my family, for my children, for doing uh, nice things with uh, Luz, my wife, uh, traveling more. So a kind of combination of keeping busy with really meaningful things, but um, with more spare time. Keeping busy with really meaningful things, which is what it seems like you've been dedicating a lot of your life to. And we're getting towards the final minutes of our conversation. Some of the takeaways I've had, and there were many, uh, were that there's this awareness of finding our own voice, our own freedom, which you actually pursued probably unconsciously in a very early age, playing in the band, pursuing that. And I, I sense the momentum you're able to create by listening to that. And then, you know, the band into the conservatory, the psychology, all of these interests you pursued that weren't prescribed, but you actually went after that. And then the expanding circles of concern and thinking about what am I really valuing it? And, and how does that include and how does it include the people around me? And how does it include my society, my higher purpose? And then this last piece of the conversation, which to me fascinating about creating that deep commitment and conversation toward purpose of parties that have such an important uh, a role to play that they only can play well together. So thank you for sharing that today with the spirit. Final thoughts from you, maybe also thinking about speaking to a person who is in the middle of their journey and maybe thinking, how do I focus on my own connectedness what's to what's truly important to me? How do I do that? What would you like to say by way of closing our conversation? Well, perhaps be confident of yourself. You don't need to prove yourself to society. You don't need to prove that you really are a human being with a lot of talents and qualities. Uh, trust that people see that and be aware of making the journey during your life course for taking action to be reflective and think about things. Because I think that's the advantage of growing older, that uh, it's not about you. It's about of the meaning of your life for the people around you and for society. And I think that's the big message for me that's not about you, but it's about the other. It's not about you. It is about the other. And that's how it becomes about the true you when it's not about you. So thank you so much, Barrett. It's been a delight to sit with you in this tender time for, you, for your family just and, and hearing your insights. I, Bert van Hoek is the chairman of the Trimbos Institute uh, for Mental Health in the Netherlands. I very much enjoyed our conversation today, Bert, and thank you again for appearing on Rooted and Wavering. We, if you would like to 
listen to this more as a listener to Ruta and Wavering, you can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, other places. You can also find replays on LinkedIn or just connect with Growth Leaders Network on LinkedIn. You could also connect with Bert von der Hoek on LinkedIn. I know he's there too, if you have more questions for him. And we will we'll be here again on May 5th, together with one of my Growth Leaders Network's colleagues, Rick Gage, in which we will review a lot of the last Root and Wavering episodes and see what can we learn from that about being truly connected to what is important to us. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Barrett, again. And this was Root and Unwavering, broadcasting live from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm your host, Hilke Faber. See you next time. Thank you for joining us in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering, leadership conversations about courageous connectedness, presented by the leadership development company, Growth Leaders Network. To learn more, subscribe to this podcast, connect with Growth Leaders Network and Hilke Faber on LinkedIn, or read Hilke's award-winning book, Taming Your Crocodiles. Now take a moment and appreciate something that is great about you. Celebrate the gift that you are and enjoy connecting more deeply to your best self today. See you next time on Rooted and Unwavering.